The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Before I came to Love City, um, I was just a horrible person. I uh, was addicted to um, drugs and alcohol. We weren't doing anything that we should have been doing. We were doing everything everybody told us not to do. We were drinking, we were going out, partying, drinking and driving. We were doing all, all the wrong things and anything that we could find to try to fill this hole that we had. We knew that we weren't doing things right and we wanted to um, start a family. I've been talking about going to church and from the first time we went, it was like total life changing. It, uh, everything started like falling in place. We, uh, we quit, quit drinking, quit smoking, quit doing drugs. After we uh, started getting our life together, the Lord started blessing us with things. First, he, he blessed us with our daughter, and uh, that's the biggest blessing ever. Like, it was just amazing, the things that started working in our life after we turned our life over to him. It's like a ripple effect. Now we can bless other people and other people can learn about Jesus and other people's holes can be filled. So instead of them walking around feeling empty inside, they can know that there's something great out there and it's Jesus and that's just amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> Amen. This week we're gonna begin our series called Stories. And we're gonna to look together at the power of the good news of the gospel to change absolutely everything. Every human being has a story. And like all stories, each of us has ups and downs. We have victories and defeats. We have good times and hard times. We're going to explore together over the next few weeks the importance of our stories individually and how God is able to take those stories and to weave them together into a grand tapestry that it declares his glorious goodness, and it declares his unquestionable sovereignty. We're going to see the power and the impact that story has. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Revelation 12. Should be fairly easy to find. Revelation is the last book in the Bible, so just head to the back. Uh, are you with me, Revelation 12? We want to start in verse 7, okay, and we're going to read together. Here we go. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. 
For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Uh, the devil's not the focus of these or any of the scriptures. However, we, I want to take a moment and talk about who is this accuser? Who is this enemy? It's, it's Satan or the devil. And the root of his issue, the reason for his fall and his hate for God and his people is pride. I've told you many times before, and I'll keep saying it because it's something we need to be aware of. Pride is the mother. It is the root cause of every other sin. You can trace any sin that we struggle with, any encumbrance that tends to tangle us and bind us. All of it traces back to pride. And we see that here, that the original sin, oftentimes that nomenclature, that language is used to describe what happened in the garden. The original sin wasn't in a garden. It was in heaven. And it was the pride of Satan himself. So this accuser, uh, his name is Satan or the devil. There is not much information in the scripture, really not as much information in the scriptures um, about the details of Satan's fall uh, as maybe some of us would like. I think that shows probably the fact that uh, the story is not about him, right? So ultimately, uh, the Bible does tell us everything that we need to know, right? And so sometimes humans were given to curiosity, and a lot of times there's people that focus on, you know, things like angels and all this type of stuff. They're, the Bible mentions them, and the Bible, if the Bible mentions them, it's, it's important, but we can only know what the Bible lets us know about it. And when it comes to the fall of Satan, not much is said. However, uh, from scriptures like Ezekiel 28, um, Isaiah 14, uh, Mark 10, 18, uh, and a couple other passages, we can surmise this much. Here's what we know about it from the scriptures. And again, this is what I believe uh, we need to know about it. Uh, that Satan was a powerful angel. Uh, he was created by God along with the other angels. So he's a created being. Um, first, that, that, that right off the bat lets us know that the kind of Eastern philosophy that is symbolized with uh, oftentimes a yin-yang, if you know what that is. I thought that was cool when I was 10 and 11. I probably had one of those necklaces and really felt rad about it. Uh, watched a lot of Ninja Turtles and, and, and such. So, um, But a lot of times, Eastern philosophy goes hand-in-hand hand with the yin-yang, and you've got you know, light and darkness kind of in this equal struggle and this balance in the universe type of deal, right? We're talking Jedis and the Force. You've got the good and the bad. Here's the reality. That's not the way it is. Uh, Satan is a created being. God is the creator. God will always and has always uh, won. He's the winner. And that's why I'm on his team, right? So we want to make sure we get that straight. Uh, so Satan was a powerful angel created by God along with the other angels. At some point, the poison of pride began to infect his heart and his thoughts. And he began to think himself worthy of the adoration and worship that belongs to God alone. Uh, the foolishness and the blindness of pride uh, that, that pride often produces, this caused him to believe that he could wage war with God and win. Right? You, you can't be the sharpest knife in the drawer and think, I'm going to go up against the guy who simply spoke and created all, and, and I think I'm going to win. And so that we, it shows us the blindness that pride produces, the, the foolishness that it conjures. 
in what, in what I believe was not much of a fight at all, especially if you read the description here in Revelation, uh, Satan and a third of his angels who were dumb enough to rebel along with him, they were thrown from heaven, right? Um, it uses the language of war here, but I don't, I don't think there was too much of a fight, really, um, because God is so much more powerful than anything he's created. Um, and though Satan's defeat was swift and complete, pride makes you so ignorant that Satan has continued his war against God, right? Um, you know, there was times throughout school where I, I, you know, I'm sure some of you other guys had the same situation. You know, I've picked fights with guys that I shouldn't have picked fights with, right? And sometimes I'd pick fights with groups of guys I couldn't, shouldn't have picked a fight with. And, it, you know, you don't have to be super smart that when you get whooped real good, like, you should just leave that guy alone or leave that group of guys alone. And, and I was a slow learner, too, so I can kind of understand maybe where the devil's coming from here. There was a couple times where... Um, I lived in Southern California, and so uh, I, was, I was different than the majority of the kids there at the school, and they, were, they played kickball, and um, I remember one day I was, just, I was real upset because they wouldn't let me play, uh, and so you, you guys know how kickball works, right? Everyone, everyone remember how that works? Everyone lines up, there's a pitcher, and they roll the ball. Well, I come running in from the side, and there's a fence right over here to a, a, a busy street. They roll the ball, and, and they won't let me play, so I'm going to fix them. I run in from the side, and I boot that ball over the fence out of the yard, out of the schoolyard. And I, and I stand there, and I look around, and I'm like, hmm. And then I realize, I'm all alone. And there's 20 of them. That was a fight I shouldn't have picked, and I found that out as they chased me down, got me over to the tetherball court, slammed my head against the pole. You know, I'm getting jumped. We got Rosie, the... the, uh, the the uh, recess attendant who's, you know, five foot nothing, she's getting boxed out like a basketball game, like 10 guys are just holding her back while they are giving me the beat down of my life. I didn't kick the ball over the fence anymore. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Satan somehow has not learned his lesson. He got whooped by God. He's going to continue to get whooped by God. We see how the story ends, yet he continues in his foolish, prideful determination in waging a war against God. It's, it's silly. Uh... And, and really, the, the, as he continues this war, there's really no sense in attacking heaven again or attacking God directly. He knows how that's going to go. So Satan changed his tactics. And instead of fighting God head-on and surely losing, uh, he sought to deceive and distract God's children into worshiping him instead. This is Satan's battle tactic. Uh, he can't take God head-on, so he's going to try to come after us as children. Deceive us, draw us away, distract us into worshiping him instead of the God who made us. Uh, and that's what this all comes down to. All of us were created to worship. We are worshipers. We were created to worship God, who is worthy of all adoration and worship. We just sang that today. He's absolutely worthy. It doesn't, it's not difficult for me to worship him as I understand his greatness and his glory and his goodness. The question is not if we will worship. The question is who do we worship? And there's really only two options. Uh, we either worship the God who is creator, or as Romans 1 tells us, we get deceived into, cre into worshiping created things. So you can either worship the God that made it all, or you can worship the stuff that he made. And ultimately, uh, when we allow ourselves to be tricked into worshiping anyone or anything but Jesus, we are really worshiping the enemy. There's really only two options. Uh, you see, the devil doesn't usually come, you know, in the classic, 
illustration that we have him, horns and pitchfork and, you know, just uglier than you could possibly imagine. And, uh, you know, jump out from under your bed and say, hey, why don't you come worship me instead of God? That's not normally the way it goes because unless you're just super dense, that won't work, right? I mean, you, you got to really, you know, like ICP and chains on your pants. For the devil to show up in your bedroom, you know, as ugly as he is, or as we imagine him to be, and uh, say, hey, come worship me instead of God. And you go, okay. Yeah, that's probably not a good plan. So uh, that's not normally the way that he does it. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, instead, he draws God's people away through distraction and deception. And uh, it's the same way he did it in the garden with our first parents, Adam and Eve. The tactic hasn't changed. The battle plan hasn't changed as far as the enemy's concerned. We act like he's powerful. We act like he's strong. We act like really there's something to be concerned about when it comes to the opposition to God. The reality is he's got a bag of tricks about that deep. It consists of lies and deceptions, and oftentimes they're just recycled ones, the same ones that have been pulling men and women away from the God who loves them for centuries. He twists and perverts the loving commands of God and sows his poisonous pride with enticements like, you'll not surely die. Actually, if you eat that fruit, what's going to happen is you're going you're to know good and evil just like God does. He sows that same prideful thought into us that you, God, God doesn't love you. He's trying to withhold something from you. And you need, to, you need to aspire to be like him, to be equal with him. He's sowing that same lie that he bought. And his battle plan is to get as many people as possible to worship him instead of God. He can't beat God. He knows that. But he thinks he can come and hurt God through hurting his kids. And I can relate to that as a father. I mean, you could beat me, torture me, slander me. You can do pretty much whatever you want to me. And ultimately, I think I could, I think I could stand and, and, and bear through it. However, uh, you hurt my kids, and I'm probably going to lose all sense of logic. Uh, and start ripping arms off. So, you know, Satan knows, man, God loves us. And so in his campaign of hate, in his campaign of pride, uh, the way he attacks God's heart is by attacking us, his kids. <clears throat> and so when we choose to worship money, sex, power, ourselves, food, or whatever other idol we choose, uh, really what we've done is we've given our allegiance to the devil and we've, cho we've chose to worship him instead of the God that loves us. And that's oftentimes how those enticements, uh, enticements show up. It's, it's not saying, you know, Satan showing up in some physical form and saying, hey, come worship me. Let's draw a six-pointed star, you know, and slaughter some chickens in the backyard. And that's not normally how it goes. Now, there are people that are, that are ignorant enough to jump on that bandwagon, but that's not your, that's not your general... Uh, it's not the general way that Satan's going to go about it. What he's going to do is he's going to convince you that um, money's a better God than God. Or that sex and the lust of the flesh, that that's really where joy is going to be found. That it's being in relationship with the God that made you, that's not going to end up being you know, fun and happy and anywhere you want to be. What you need to do is short circuit that, jump around it, and go get all the stuff that God's holding back from you. Because he doesn't love you. He's got this big goodie bag and he's, and he's keeping it from you. Because he's a bad God and he's a bad father. This is the lie. 
This is why we have to read the scriptures. This is why when we talk about studying the scriptures for ourselves, it's not just this religious, traditional thing that we keep trying to beat into your heads. Hey, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. What we want is for the truth of the scriptures to be so written upon our hearts that every time the deceiver comes, every time the accuser comes, every time that liar comes and tries to sell you something, you've got truth that combats it. That it, it's stopped in its tracks. There's no room in your imagination to wander to, I wonder, if, I wonder if just ditching God, ditching church, ditching the Bible, and just going and having sex with everyone that'll do it with me, or going and making as much money as I possibly can and spend it on trying to find some trivial enjoyment in this life. Like, that seems like a better plan than sticking with the God who made me. See, when we say it in those terms, it sounds silly, doesn't it? When we say it as it really is, it doesn't sound smart at all. The problem is it's, it's distraction, it's deception. That's the way the enemy comes at us. He's too weak to fight head on, so he's got to lie. He's got to trick. He's got to deceive. Sometimes it just helps to know how the enemy's coming so we can know how we can better prepare ourselves. So here's the reality. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he's at war with God and with us. Now, in the scriptures here in Revelation 12, we see how it was that he was thrown down from heaven, and he began this campaign of deception and accusation against us, God's people, with the goal, here's his goal, of gathering for himself as many people as possible to worship him and glorify him instead of God. That's his battle plan. However, we see in verse 11 how anyone who ever has or ever will overcome the enemy, how they do that. Verse 11 gives us the key to push back. Verse 11 tells us this is what it is. When you stand in opposition to that liar, the enemy, here are the weapons we wield. Here is what provides the power for us to fight our fight. Okay? Verse 11, look at it with me. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Here's verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. What's it say, love city? What's it say provides the power to fight? We've got the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And testimony is a long Bible word for our story. Right? So let's look at this in sequence. The blood of the Lamb is first because it is the real source of power. And here's the reality. There is no story to be told. There's no power in our testimony without the blood of the Lamb first. It is the blood of the Lamb. It is the sacrifice of Christ that infuses our story with the power to have anything to say to the accuser, our enemy. Our story would not be something that we could fight with if it were not for the blood of the Lamb. And without the blood of the Lamb, all of our stories would be the same. It'd be a tragedy from beginning to end. We would live in darkness, bound by Satan and sin, and separated from God our Father. There would be no distinction, there would be no variety in the story of all humanity. Without the shed blood of Christ, it would be tragic and it would be dark. There would be no difference. We could, we could say everybody, we, could, we wouldn't have to write it down. We could all memorize it. I was born in sin, born in darkness, born bound, and lived in pride all of my life and died and stayed separated from God. That would be the story, and it would be the tragedy of all tragedies. 
But there is the blood of the Lamb. There is uh, God's story coming and intersecting with ours. And this is where the true story of the gospel intersects with our tragedy and turns it into a love story. And I'm talking way more epic than the notebook. I know some of you guys cried. Ladies, I know you guys teared up. I know even some of you guys. And you're not going to admit it in here, and that's fine. I don't want you to. Um, I mean, that's a good love story, right? But I'm talking, this, this one knocks it way out of the park. This makes, I mean, this makes the notebook look like Looney Tunes. I'm talking about a God who loves us so much that even as we rebelled, ran from him, gnashed our teeth at him, turned our back on him, spit in his face, as we did not search for him, did not want him, he pursued us relentlessly for love and relationship. That's a love story. Best that's ever been told. And the gospel is that story that intersects with our tragedy and turns it into a love story. And this is the gospel. Let me be clear when I say that. The gospel is the good news. That's clearly what it means. Gospel means good news. And here at Love City, we have a deep conviction that the good news makes very little sense without first understanding the bad news. Here's the bad news. Here's, Here's the narrative of Scripture, starting in Genesis, that God creates us. Everything is perfect when he does that. He puts us in a garden. He creates all things. He gives us dominion over it, declares that this is very good. But then comes the accuser, the deceiver, the God-hater. Then comes the prideful one. And he comes and he entices our first parents. And he, he says, but did God really say? And through confusion and distraction, through slightly twisting what it is God said, he tricks our first parents into, into rebelling against the God who loves them and who made them. From that point on, the Bible is clear. Man was given dominion over this earth. God created earth for this man, for for man to dwell in, for us to tend and to be in fellowship with him. And what Adam did in sinning, what Adam did in rejecting God's loving command and embracing the invitation of Satan, what he did was he took that authority and that dominion that God gave him and he handed it over temporarily to the devil. That's why Corinthians tells us that Satan is the God, little g, of this world. But it's only, and Revelation even says it here, doesn't it? Beware earth and sea, for Satan's coming, and he's ticked, but only for a little while. Now, it seems long, doesn't it? Because we have to endure this 80, 90 years, whatever it is that God gives us on this planet. We live in the midst of this cursed state. We live in the in-between time, the time between when man fell, turned our backs on God, when we fell away from that perfect communion with him. We live in this this state of where there's sin and there's sickness and there's struggle and there's pain and there's darkness and sometimes it's hard to understand how could God be good and loving yet all this be around us but here's what you got to remember when you're tempted to ask that question the story's not over we live in the in-between but we know the end God comes Jesus comes he came once to deliver and he's coming again there is hope We look to the future, and in the meantime, we strive. We push back against that liar, the devil. And by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our testimony, we march on. Battle by battle, we fight together. And we will see the day of the Lord. Man fell. Fell away from God. And and here's the reality. Because of that, from that day, every single person is born imperfect. Do I need to do a bunch of work convincing you that you're imperfect? 
Does anybody need help with that? I will be here after the service. If you struggle to know whether or not you're perfect, I'm not even joking right now. I will spend as much time as it takes to help you. we got a good interview process. i got some really good questions to kind of poke at you a little bit and find out, are you perfect? If you get all the way through that and still think you're perfect, then, um, you know, we've got some white coats. They tie up real nice and we'll, we'll take you out because something's wrong, right? No, we are all vibrantly aware of our imperfection, are we not? Yes, absolutely. Here's the deal. What God intended for us to be in fellowship with him was he's perfect, we're perfect. Sin got in the way. It broke that. So all of us are imperfect. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. We're in trouble. If all we had was the knowledge that what is required to be in fellowship with our perfect God is perfection. If all we knew was that and that we're imperfect, that's, that's the most tragic news I've ever heard. I'm in deep, deep trouble because I am really, really aware that I missed that mark. I'm not perfect. But this is where the good news rushes in. This is where it's beautiful because what Jesus does, he comes. He's born of a virgin. He lives that perfect life that is required by all of us, but none of us could pull off. And somehow God sees fit to let him, his perfect life, to let him in love step in and be a sacrifice in our place. He takes the punishment. He lives the perfect life. He's the only one that doesn't deserve punishment ever, and yet God lets him take it. God lets him go to the cross that we deserve. God lets him pay the price for sin shed that perfect blood on our behalf and we all we have to do is believe that that's true embrace that that's true we need not bleed ourselves our blood could not have it couldn't have paid the price it's not enough it's tainted by sin his was perfect that's why he came that's what christmas is about we get all wrapped up in you know baby jesus in the manger we can forget there was a mission from the beginning Jesus came to live a perfect life so that he could step in and be the sacrifice. So he could pay the price that none of us could ever pony up for. And he did it. He did it. He paid the price. He shed his blood. He was the sacrifice that paid the price for our sins. I don't understand. It doesn't seem just to me. The Bible tells me God is good and God is just. It doesn't seem, but by my rubric, the way that I measure justice, you get what you deserve. Is that not true? Is that not the way justice normally goes on this earth? You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. That just seems like it's the way it should be. Yet somehow, God has seen fit to let us be righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. To let us be pardoned because of Jesus' sacrifice. He let him take the punishment that I deserve. He did good, I did bad, but I get to be along for the ride on his good. Where else is it like that? Nowhere. This is why the gospel is so good. This is why all religions don't teach basically the same thing. You'll not find this in any other religion. Every other religion says, do good, God will love you. Do bad, and he won't. The Bible teaches us that God said, you're, you're real bad, but I love you. And I'm gonna do, I want you so bad, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send Jesus to die in your place. And here's the requirement. Here's what the Bible tells us. It, it's not that we can't clean ourselves up. We could do our best for as long as we can. It's, it's not going to change anything. The only thing that changes, whether we are allowed to be in fellowship with the God who made us, is whether we will believe in faith that Jesus accomplished what he said he did. Will we believe that he was the God-man? Will we believe that he did come, that he did die, and that he did rise again? Will we believe that? Not not will you 
do a bunch of good stuff, not will you stop doing bad things today and start doing good things and hope the cosmic scales balance out once you get to heaven. That whole idea is garbage. It's another deception put forth by our enemy to distract us from the truth because the truth is so beautiful that once you understand it, why would you not embrace it? You're telling me, as bad as I am, and as good as he is, that all I have to do is believe in what he did and what he said and who he was. That I can put faith in that and be pardoned of my sin, be forgiven of my sin, and be welcomed into fellowship with the God that made me. You're telling me just by faith I can do that? That's the sweetest deal around. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. I'm pleading with you, if you've not believed that, if you've been confused or deceived, if you've been told you're not good enough to come to God, maybe by Satan or others or just the own battle in your mind, Hear me, dear one, this is the truth. The only reason we know anything about God is because of the Scriptures. Here's what the Scriptures teach about relationship with God and eternity with Him. That we must embrace the truth of the Gospel. That is what affects how our story goes. We can white-knuckle it, we can try harder, we can do our best. All of our greatest efforts will always end in utter failure. We have to trust in His efforts because they're perfect and they can't fail. It's all about Jesus. He's the, he's the star of the story. He's the main character. And I'm really glad about it. Amen. The gospel's good news. That's good news. That's good news. I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. Are you serious? Woo, that's good news. As bad as I've been, he's going to forgive me? He's going to take those sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. He's going to welcome me as a son instead of treating me as a rebel like I deserve. Woo, that's good news. I don't know. If, if you're not excited about that, there's something wrong with you. You're not getting what I'm saying. Woo, come on. That's the gospel. It's the story of all stories. And it's, it's our great jewel. It's what, it's what Christianity is founded upon. This is not... This is not a country club. We don't come and gather as God's people and sing songs because songs make us feel good. We sing songs because I can't get over the fact of how good God is. Our songs don't quite describe, man, we've got beautiful songs with beautiful words, but they all fall short of really describing how incredible it is that God would come and change my story. That he would interject and come and he would intercede on behalf of a guy like me. I know I didn't deserve it. I was headed to hell. That's exactly what I deserved. Jesus saw different. Loved me that much. Wow. When Jesus' story intersects with our story, it changes from a horrific tragedy to a powerful weapon. When the Spirit of God regenerates a heart, when a man or a woman is brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, when they begin to walk with, worship, and enjoy the God who made them, their story shouts of the glory and goodness of our King. It declares loudly to their friends and their family and their co-workers and any person that they come in contact with, any person that they encounter, that the blood of the Lamb, the selfless sacrifice of Jesus our Savior, has defeated Satan's sin and hell. And every single story like that deals a crushing blow to the devil. 
Our story overcomes him. Your story overcomes him. Your life in God, just you living and loving Jesus and loving others, living in the joy that comes in serving a God who calls himself our Father, just you walking that out, living in the joy of being a Christian, all of that, it's a, it's a blow to the powers of darkness. It, because what it does is it erodes the power of those lies. See, all of those people that you're around all the time, whether it's family or friends or, or coworkers, the people that are in your sphere of influence, you see, they're dealing with all these deceptions. See, Satan's been, he's been sowing these lies and this discord for ages, and men and women have bought, they've bit into that bait, and the hook is sunk deep in many of their mouths. And yet, when you come, you bring a contrast to that darkness. See, what you do is, what did Jesus say? He told us we're going to be the light of the world. You see that the deception, it causes darkness and blindness. The pride that rules most people, it keeps them blind and ignorant to the truth. But when you come and you walk into their life, bearing with you the life and the light of Christ, it impacts them without you even trying. Your story undercuts the power of the enemy to deceive and distract God's people. Your story has power. That's why they overcame him. By the blood of the Lamb. Nobody's story matters without the blood of the Lamb, right? But because of the blood of the Lamb, we overcome him with that and with the word of our testimony. We must wield our story like a sword, and we need to sharpen it often. Knowing we not only fight for ourselves, but our brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who are still bound by the lies of the enemy. You know what I'm talking about? When, when I say that your story is like a sword that needs to be wielded and you need to sharpen it off, and I think for some of us, you know, we struggle to know what to say when we're in those situations where clearly God is tugging at our heart to speak to somebody about the goodness of Jesus, but we struggle to cross that bridge between everyday life and all the conversations that happen, and how do I, how do I, get, how do I talk to this person about the, the, the depth and the beauty of the gospel? How do I get from, we're working on the line, you know, putting nuts and bolts together at work, whatever it is you do, I'm typing away, I'm on the phone, we're in between, I flip the thing up. How do I get to Jesus in between that phone call? Your testimony. That's why we got to sharpen it. We got to remember, we got to know what it is God has done. We have to remember those times when it is undeniable that God has come and showed up. We have to, we have to remember what it was like. We have to be able to declare with clarity why we are different now that Jesus has arrested our hearts. We must wield that testimony like a weapon so that, here's where it comes in handy. A, when we're trying to convince someone else of the goodness of Jesus. Because here, at the end of the day, you know, I realize not all of you are called to preach. However, you are all called to be ambassadors of this message of the gospel. We are called to be ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. That's what the scriptures tell us. To know the gospel is to be called to share the gospel, and you cannot escape this beautiful responsibility. It's, it's, like, it's like we're in some post-apocalyptic situation, right, and everybody's got this pandemic flu and everybody's going to die, and you find a big box that's got the cure in it, right? So you find it, you pop the top, you take it, whew, now I'm going to survive. Thank God. What's your responsibility then? You're going to hide it? You're going to hoard it? You're going to be embarrassed to tell somebody, hey, I found the cure? You're going to let somebody tell you, you're an idiot, are you serious? I can't believe you drank what was in that bottle. 
Who's foolish on the end of that conversation? Right? And yet, we treat the cure to the sin sickness as if it's something we should be ashamed of. It's the gospel. It's the truth. It's the precious blood of the Lamb. And so, uh, when you're When you're attempting to share the gospel with somebody, the strongest thing you have is your testimony. The thing you can preach with the deepest conviction is your testimony. You need to know your own story and be willing to share it. Because at the end of the day, listen, I I like to debate. I like to talk apologetics. I like to talk historical uh, evidences and all that type of stuff. I I like it. I'm kind of geeky that way. That kind of makes my wheels turn. And so I like debating that type of stuff. And so I'll get into those conversations with people. But at the end of the day... When all that stuff gets set aside, ultimately, when I look somebody in the eyes and with fire and passion, I can tell them, I'm not the man I used to be. Bring all the evidence you want. You're not talking me out of that because I was there. I remember the darkness and the emptiness and the hopelessness and the death. I remember what it was like to be without him. And I know what it is like now to be with him, to have joy and peace and hope for eternity. You're not talking me out of that. Bring all you want. You'll not convince me. Try to convince me that apple pie doesn't exist. You're too late. I've ate it, and I've ate it with ice cream on it, vanilla bean ice cream. Mm, And when it's hot and it's melty, it's so good. You can't convince me that doesn't exist because I've already had it. I've been with him. I've spoke with him. I've heard his voice. I've felt the touch of his glorious spirit in my heart. You'll never, ever talk me out of it, and I hope they cannot talk you out of it. And this is why you must know there is power in your story. It is only infused power because of the precious blood of the Lamb. Your story only has meaning and power to push back the advances of the enemy because of what Jesus has done. But because of that, your story has power. It matters. It matters. And you must know it. You need to remember the times. Listen. Uh, when I hear stories, when I, my God, when I see my friends, the pointers up here talking about what Jesus did, you know, the next time the devil tries to come and tell me, look, man, this stuff you're doing in ministry, it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to listen anyways. It isn't going to make a difference. You're spinning your wheels. As soon as the devil tries to sell me that lie, I can go, <laughs> hold on, brother. Take that mess somewhere else. Because I, I, I got story after story after story after story of the fact that Jesus does change hearts. Jesus does change lives. Jesus does change families. The gospel changes everything. And you'll not convince me otherwise. You can't. I know the truth. The truth set me free. And I say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Amen. This is part of why community groups is so important. I know some of you think this, you know, that, what's the deal with that? We're getting together in people's houses. Is that weird? No, it's not weird because here's part of what community groups is about. It's, part, it's about you getting together with other people and being willing to open up and share the parts of your story that you wouldn't get to in this large setting that we have here, but you can get together and you can look somebody in the eye and you can hear their story. You can hear their struggle, their challenge. You can say, listen, I, I, went, I went through the exact same thing. Here's, here's how God helped me. And your story has power because you see they're sitting over there dealing with these lies from the devil that they're alone, they're not going to make it, they're the only one struggling with this. And here's the thing, that old lie has been sold and sold and resold, but we can stop it in its tracks. 
Your story has power to come and stick a stick in Satan's spokes and say, hold on, you're not alone. You're not the only one struggling with that. I've been through it, and God helped me. That's what community groups is about. And that's why I plead with you. Whatever your excuse is, stop. Set it aside and get in a community group. It's not just about you. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to... to Benefit from the power of other people's story and the gospel, how the gospel has intersected with their life. I want you to be blessed because of what community groups is and does. But it isn't just about you. I need your story at community group. I need you there ready to tell somebody, hold on, man, there is hope. Here's where I came from. Hold on. Don't give up. That's how we're supposed to minister to each other. We, we are all called to be a part of the ministry. That doesn't mean we all stand up behind a pulpit and teach the Bible like I do, but it means we have to be ready to spur each other on to love and good works. We should not forsake the gathering of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but we should come together as often as possible, full of the love of God, full of the grace of God, full of the joy of God, and share that with each other. Spur each other on. Don't let each other... When we, that's, community groups, is, it's us fighting together. It's us getting together, man, to, to sharpen our swords again, to encourage each other, to say, let's don't give up. I know this was a hard week, but don't, don't let that cause you to quit. Come on, I'm running with you. I'm praying for you. We're fighting together. It's hard out here, is it not? Is life sometimes hard to deal with? The barrage mentally of distractions and deceptions, all the things Satan tries to convince us of about ourselves, that we're the one that Jesus can't forgive, that we're the one that's so bad, we're the one that... Even though I've heard the gospel a thousand times, somehow I still struggle to believe that God could actually love and forgive me. I'm the dirty one that's just outside of what grace can do. That's a lie, dear one. You're not the exception to the rule. The grace of God, the blood of Christ has the power. You are forgiven and you are loved. And the moment you will stop to believing those lies and switch from fighting that struggle by yourself to welcoming others to help you with their story, and then you in like reciprocate, share your story with them, power, we, we gain momentum through that, and we deal a death blow to the enemy. He can't do anything. When, when a group of Christians gets together, empowered by the love of God, and we get on mission, do you understand that God has, God has put something into the, the unity of humans, like to the point that it even works in the adverse, right? You remember the Tower of Babel, Genesis 11, right? They, they, they come and they, they get in the plain of Shinar and they, they start thinking, you know what would be cool? Let's build a tower up to heaven and everyone will see how great we are, right? What do we see again? We see that thread of pride beginning to come back up, that root of pride beginning to spring back up in the human heart. I want some recognition. Like, I'm really great, and how can I get everyone to know that? I know. I'll get all these guys. We'll build a tall tower. That way, when people see the tall tower, they'll know I'm great. Right? So this is their, this is their rationale. And here's what God says. He says, he looks over at, assumedly, the Son and the Spirit, because he says, let us. It's part of why we believe that God is Trinitarian in his nature. Let us go down. And confuse their language because if we don't, whatever they put their mind to, they're going to accomplish. God has put something into. He, he has anointed the unity of his children. So we can, we can use that to do dumb stuff or we can use it to crush the enemy and to let as many people as possible know there is hope in Christ. 
man, I want to be like a locomotive, unstoppable, just crushing walls and barriers and lies all around Cincinnati and picking up people as we go. Let's just drive around and smash the strongholds that Satan has put up over people's lives. And as we do, we're grabbing grabbing hands as we go. Come on. Get on this train because it's a good one. There's love and joy and peace and, and, and community on this train. Come on. Let's go. Try to slow us down. Put a penny on the tracks. We'll run right over it because we're empowered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our collective testimony. You see my point about community groups? Quit pushing back against that. Whoever you are, stop. Get a part of one. Sign up today. Okay? All right. We need your story, and you need others. You're not the Lone Ranger. When I see the pointers telling their story, declaring with passion and conviction, that's Ashley and Jason that were up on the screen before. Uh, When I see them telling their story, declaring with passion and conviction that Jesus and his gospel has changed everything in their life, I'm encouraged and I'm emboldened for my own battles. I draw strength from their story. The next time the devil tries to tell me, look, man, this isn't real. There's, there's no hope. You see, I can, I can pull. If, if I'm scrambling and, and for some reason I've, I've temporarily forgotten my own story, which should be enough to push back those, those idiotic deceptions that Satan tries to trick me with, but I can reach again and I can pull. I can say, hold on a second. That can't be true because I know that guy and I know that girl and I know where they were, where they were headed, what they were doing. And I saw what happened when God reached in and seized their heart, took them from death to life and made them his children. I've watched it happen. And so the enemy is overcome by the story of my friends. Their testimony crushes the lies of the enemy. It's beautiful. It's true. Here's what we need to remember. Our stories are not isolated. Our lives have been woven together with the scarlet thread of the truth about Jesus. And for that, I'm so, so very grateful. Our stories have power individually, but when you allow your story to be woven into this tapestry that God is making, ultimately, he is the grand weaver, is putting all of our stories together, and ultimately what it declares is he is good, and he is glorious, and he is worthy. And I'm just glad to be a part of it. I'm glad that God has lashed my story to yours. And now they're inseparable. And now we're, we're all, our stories individually are a part of his story. And of course, all of everything is a part of his story. Amen? Because he's God. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.